At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. This is Doug Crow, and I am so honored to have this guest on with us today. It's not often we get somebody who's uh, basically famous. I'll just use the word, okay? She'll probably laugh at that. But um, <laughs> she's a CEO and founder of Dream University. She spent the last 30 years launching and leading worldwide dream movement. You know, I think we all dream accidentally. She's probably got some method here. Yeah, she does. She's got this proven methodology called Dream Steps that helps people identify and realize their dreams. And she has literally changed the world for many people, including collaborating with three U.S. presidents, been on Oprah Winfrey show a couple of times, her own PBS special. She's kind of a big deal. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce to you uh, Marsha Weeder. Marsha, how are you today? It's nice to be here. I forgot to pour myself a cocktail. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> Actually, no, this is like recorded. So we can, I'm having like, you know, soda water. You can do whatever you want. It's okay. I've got water. Yeah, well, there we go. That's fine. So, Marsha, there's a lot I want to chat about with today. My gosh, there's so much. Um, to give people perspective, let's go with the background first, and then I want to get into what you're doing now and in the future. So, a little bit of background. Oh, my gosh. How far back should I go? Oh, when you were a poor sharecropper's daughter. <laughs> I was like born fine. in the Bronx. <laughs> nice. Okay. That, says, that tells you a whole bunch. That's all um, right. Let's see. Uh, Dream University, I mm -hmm. think, is probably – well, there's one thing before that. I was president of a group called the National Association of Women Business Owners okay. in Washington, D.C., and that's what took me into the White House to meet and greet and work with Reagan, Carter, and Bush Sr. It was a long, long time ago. Yeah. And um, I moved from uh, D.C. to San Francisco basically because D.C. just didn't feel like home. I remember the story. I went down to the, I had an office in the National Press Building mm -hmm. and I went down to the street one day and I was wearing a purple silk jumpsuit. Yeah. And I looked around and I was the only person wearing color. Everybody else was in brown, black or blue. And I thought. This ain't my town. It's like, and yeah, I'm... we're not here at the IBM, <laughs> IBM convention, right? <laughs> you know, we're two blocks from the White House. Yeah. I mean, it was good. It was really good for a while. And then when it wasn't, I moved. So uh -huh. I'm pretty much wired to ask myself, you know, how do I want my life to be? And what am I willing to do about it? That's yeah. been kind of a guiding principle for me. Okay. So I wanted to live in a cosmopolitan city near the water where it didn't snow. <laughs> What's wrong with snow? San You're not Francisco. a skier. It's okay. It's all right. All right. <laughs> I like to visit snow. I don't, I, you know, growing up, growing up in New York, I don't like shoveling it. So, right. Right. Um, so I was in San Francisco for a long time. Mm -hmm. And um, let's see, 93, I wrote my first book and went on Oprah. It was kind mm -hmm. of accidental. Um, it was one of those, I think I have something to say. I know as an author and publisher, you yeah. understand this. It's like, oh, I think I have something to say. And I lightheartedly held it as a correspondence course with God. I thought, okay, if there's something that you want me to say, and I'm really here with a purpose and a mission and a calling. And I was one of the first people, um, even before Purpose Driven Life, mm -hmm. I was one of the first people to write and speak about finding your purpose. And what I discovered was, Two things. One, 200 things, but two things. Um, one is where dreams come from is you make them up, right? Some of them are based on need, like food on the table. Some of them are based on your desire, like writing a best-selling book. Yeah. But the dreams that come from your purpose are the most profound. So the second thing I found was standing in your purpose, the quality of your dreams and the quality of your life would actually change. So that was the beginning, of, uh, I guess, of me being my own guinea pig. Mm -hmm. um, you know, along the way, I was kind of always like, well, I think there's a method here. And I designed this dream coach methodology and then trained and certified thousands of life coaches. My brand was Dream Coach. Uh -huh. And Dream University was the company that I started. And I think the thing that's relevant to our conversation, Doug, is that people told me I would starve. They said, You're, you can't make a living helping people make their dreams come true. And Ooh, luckily, challenge they were wrong. me. Yeah. If you tell me they what, if you, wrong. that's what, if you want, to, if you want me to do something, just tell me I can't do it, right? <laughs> I built a multi million dollar company and for many, many years put on live events and online courses. And dreamuniversity.com is still up and running and mm -hmm. available. 
And as a matter of fact, since I just mentioned the URL, I mentioned we put together a crazy, wonderful gift Let's for hear your it. Go for listeners. It. It's never and too viewers. late for shameless promotions. I love them. Good. Dreamuniversity.com slash gift, G-I-F-T, dreamuniversity.com slash gift. We'll give people a free three-hour workshop. It'll give them my most recent TED Talk called Why Dreaming is Not Enough. Mm. After writing 15 books on dreaming, that was an interesting conversation. And then finally, it'll also give them uh, short videos on the 10 steps in the Dream Coach methodology. So anybody that's listening that has a dream, needs a new dream, needs to get unstuck or wants to be catapulted forward, dreamuniversity.com slash gift, I think will be a very valuable gift to help people. All right. Well, I don't want to presume, presume that I can cover all 15 books in this conversation today, but I am. You know what? I will tell you the last book, <laughs> yeah. which is simply called Dream, yeah. and was uh, premiered at number four on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. Nice. But it took 15 books for me to finally get the first sentence of the the most recent book is dream is a verb. Yeah. And it was in, you know, it's also a noun, right? We have a dream. Sure. But it's when we to dream. Mm -hmm. It's It was in writing that book that I decided to walk away from my business, which I know we'll talk about and yes. move to and move to Rome, Italy. So dream is a verb. Dream is a <laughs> you verb. have to act on so it. it. It took you, Otherwise, it's a fantasy. It took you 14 <laughs> books to get to the first line of the 15th one. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. All you right, understand. Cool. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> I'm really interested because I, I, you know, I do a little, I, you know, we help people write their books. I've done work with neuroscientists and people in the woo-woo space and all that. And I, I'm fascinated by the topic of dreams in many ways. Number one, you know, sometimes our real dreams, the ones we're having at night are like completely disconnected from not just reality, but any experiences we've had. And then you, when I see your stuff here, it's like dream methodology. It's like, whoa, how can I actually harness this, channel it, and make it do something? So exactly. is there a summation or you want to go down this rabbit hole? Just go for it. I'm, I'm really curious. No, about I this. can do it in three easy steps. Uh, I love steps. Well, should I write these down somewhere. Hold on a second. Let me have a drink. Okay, I got my pen ready. Go. So first, I want to respond to what you said because um, – one of the reasons people thought that my business would, would fail yeah. is that most people think of dreaming as a fantasy. Mm -hmm. And the distinction for me between a dream and a fantasy is that in a dream, you can design a strategy for getting there. But there's a paradox because if you go too quickly to strategy, you'll often compromise the dream down yep. to what you realistically think is possible, mm -hmm. right? So reality is an important part of the mix. We have to know where we are in order to design the strategy for where we want to go. But what has being realistic cost you? Right? if you're overly realistic, you can squelch the passion, kill the dream. So if you never go to strategy, it's a fantasy. If you go to strategy too soon, you might wind up compromising more quickly than needed. Right. So how to make a dream come true in three easy steps. Here we go. <laughs> so in school, we learn the ABCs. At Dream University, we teach the CBAs. C, get clarity about who you are mm -hmm. and what you do and don't want. Your ability to say no more, no thank you, and to be discerning can really free up a lot of headspace, you know, insight, clarity. So C, get clear on what it is you want. B, believe in yourself and your dream. Most of us realize that our attitudes and beliefs are never neutral. They either hold us back or move us forward. But a lot of us have forgotten that we can choose what we believe. Right. So choose, you know, choose to believe in your dream and demonstrate that you're more committed to your dream than to any doubt, fear, or reality by A, mm. taking action. Yeah. And then there's a shortcut step. The number one way to experience greater ease and shortcuts on any dream is to share your dream with other people, which scares the hell out of most people. Right. Totally. <laughs> and most people don't want to tell us their dreams because we might expect them to do something about it. Um, but there is a, a whole skill set in order to master manifestation. We need to master the ability to build our dream team and to inspire other people to help us. And that's where the issue or obstacle around not having enough money can be overcome as well. So mm -hmm. C, get clear about what the dream is. 
B, believe in yourself and your dream, and A, take action to prove that you really do. And I'll add one other caveat. Yeah, go ahead. That on, on a big dream or a long-term dream, you can't just plop it down on a to-do list. Mm -hmm. You know this. People write, yeah. you know, my dream is to write a book, and then they never do it. Yeah, so close. big dreams and long-term dreams need short-term projects. Right. A project that I think you can accomplish easily in one month or less mm -hmm. because whoops, a month is a short enough period of time to produce a real result. Right. Um, you know, no, it's a long enough period of time to produce a real result, but a short enough time to stay passionate and excited about yeah, it. Yeah, so you can actually, it reinforces the belief when you make some milestone, no matter how small. Right? That's right. You hit the nail on the head because nothing activates that doubter inside of us more than saying we're going to do something and not doing it. And that's why I think that the key to manifestation is both intention and integrity. So a lot of people talk about intention, yeah. but the road to hell is paved with good intentions. So yeah, right. our ability to, you know, we, we say we want one thing and then we do something else, or we say we want something and we do nothing. You know, I did, you know, under I mean, I did understand the self-sabotaging uh, systems of uh, people, uh, fear of success, right? I didn't really get it. Um, mm. And then the more I reflect on some things in my own life, I'm like, why did I shoot so low for that one? Why didn't I just think a little bigger? Mm. And I was just rereading um, David Schwartz's book, uh, Magic of Thinking Big, classic, right? It's a long time ago I read it. And I opened it up again because I have a couple friends who like, they're, when they talk about a project, it's like they're adding a zero or two that I wouldn't have done. I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. Take the same amount of work to do a billion-dollar idea as a multi-million-dollar idea. So why think mediocre? Well, this is the difference between being you know, a dreamer and being realistic. Yeah. You know, I mean, of course, reality is important, but who are you putting in the driver's seat? You know, we need the realist part of ourselves. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of like we have a dreamer that says, yes, I can. And we have this doubter that says, no, you can't. <laughs> and then if you turn the voice of the doubter down, it becomes the realist. And the realist wants to know, well, where are you going to get the time and where are you going to get the money? Basically, mm -hmm. what's the plan? But in the early phases of a dream, you may not have it all figured out. And that's why if you're overly realistic, you know, you you know, like, well, like, don't look in your checking account to decide whether or not you believe in your dream. That's a terrible place to look. But if you master the skill of inspiring and inviting other people, well, you can overcome that obstacle. I think every obstacle is either an internal belief, something I believe about myself, life, my dream or the world or something that simply requires a strategy or a plan. Right. And it's an amazing moment when people actually see and really get it that the thing that's stopping them from going for that big dream mm -hmm. is often some belief that they don't even really believe anymore. They're kind of stuck in an old way of thinking. Yeah. You know, it, it, there's, it's a really strange combination. I need, I need to f figure this out um, for a bunch of my clients and, and maybe on this people watching this today. I'd look at things like uh, like Pierre Diamandis, the X Prize, right? I've got this idea to give away ten million dollar prize for the first private firm to launch a rocket in space. Great idea, empowering people. Did you know that he didn't have a dime when he launched that? I like, I know Peter you know very Peter. well. Okay. So great I love, story. And I love his book Bold. Yeah. You know, yeah. which is really about dreaming big. It, that's exactly right. He had nothing, had no idea. It was, a you know, it, it was outrageous, right? right? But that's a tricky piece because a lot of people tricky. are like, well, you know, if I, you know, I'm all about integrity. So how can I do that without knowing where the money is coming from? So a lot of it is, you know, what are you willing to put on the line? What are the risks that you're willing to take? Right. And for every, every one like Peter, there's, you know, a million who might think that, but they don't. But never it. do it. Right. So if they, yeah, don't be given, don't be given dreaming a bad name by just be thinking about it, <laughs> talking about it. That's right. You got to put Demonst some action behind it. Demonstrate you're serious by taking action. Dream is a verb. <laughs> That's right. So, but the difference between someone like Peter who did, I've got a $10 million idea with no money and uh, somebody who's like, Hey, I want to, you know, be a New York times bestseller or whatever. Um, there's, what's the difference between those two dreams? It's not just action. It's mostly something else. No, you know, it's interesting. I, I don't know that I've been asked the question in that way, but what I'm remembering is that Peter originally started out to be a doctor. Oh, okay. That was one of his original dreams. Yeah. So at one level, he failed. You know, it's a really cool thing when you learn how to fail without identifying yourself as a failure. Yeah. 
you know, it it sort of brings me into kind of the midsection of my story. And that was um, five years ago. Let me send the dogs to bed. Go to bed. (laughs) Go to bed. No more. No more treats. All gone. Go to bed. (laughs) We're talking to Chow and Bella, my two little love bug Yorkies. Chow and Bella, yes. Chow and Bella, who moved to Italy with me from California. Nice. Um, I don't know why this keeps falling out of my ear. That's right. So five years ago, I held the most successful event of my life in Beverly Hills. It was called the Wealthy Visionary Conference. And the theme was bridging money and meaning. Mm -hmm. And um, it was over a weekend. 700 people came. I was the only speaker. Uh, In addition to generating $3 million in revenue that weekend uh, for something that my colleagues advised me against doing, (laughs) but my gut said to do it. You had a dream. Um, Exactly. Uh, I also raised $150,000 in a half hour ritual to help build schools in Kenya with oh, the Unstoppable Foundation. Nice. So we've actually helped build 14 schools, which I'm very proud of. Mm-hmm. But at the end of that event, I announced that I was moving to Rome, Italy, because it had been a dream. People who buy the who buy who opt in for the free gift at uh, dreamuniversity.com slash gift can watch the TED talk because that's where I talk about it in more detail. But it had always been a maybe someday, maybe someday I'll move to Rome. And years ago when I was in my 20s and I I, I was doing some work in Cairo, Egypt, I would stop in Rome on the way. I would sit on the Spanish steps Mm. and I would dream maybe someday I'll live here. And when I moved to Rome, I literally could sit on my couch in my living room and look out my window at the Spanish steps. And I realized I had fulfilled that dream. But to some people, it looked like a failure because I was at the tippy top of my career and I basically pulled the plug and moved to a foreign country. Well, that's the best time, isn't it? (laughs) I think Like athletes, don't go out and don't don't go from from basketball to baseball, Michael Jordan. (laughs) Go out and basketball. Don't tank and then go, you know, it was just, it was one of these thoughts that just because I was good at something didn't mean it was the thing I was supposed to do forever. Yes. And I have a big value on learning and growing. Uh What I didn't realize was it was a a de-identification process. I'd left Mm. behind my credentials. I was no longer a speaker, an author, a coach, a trainer, or a workshop conductor. I was just me, just Marsha. So I would meet people and they would say, well, what do you do? And I, for a while I would say, well, not much. I'm, drink- I'm drinking <laughs> wine, having some sorbet. What else? <laughs> I did write a book while I was over there. Okay. And I'm not sure I'm going to publish it because it's incredibly revealing called Abundanza. Ooh. Lots of little secrets and fun things. I started writing because I started getting bored. Yeah. You know, course, yeah. and you know, Rome was fantastic. The best part of living in Rome yeah. was traveling through Italy. Mm-hmm. Such an amazing, gorgeous it's country. History but and the Rome, people are great, and the language. The history, is so the people. Sexy. I learned enough <laughs> Italian to be conversational. Nice. I started um, blogging something called uh, "Abroad Dating Abroad." Because uh-huh. I was a single gal and still am, yeah. so, you know, uh, you know, traveling and it was incredible. But mostly, Rome is an eating and drinking culture. Right. That's really what it is, mm-hmm. and it was a great. My my uh, soul said to me, "You can go there to rest, but don't go to sleep," which was a really important metaphor. You know, and I did sleep a lot. I actually didn't realize how tired I had been after working for 30 years. Um, But I could start to feel after three years, there was something reemerging inside Mm. of me. And I wanted to remain open. I still don't know exactly what it is, actually. Um, But I knew that um, I needed to do more than eat and drink. (laughs) I wanted to live in a country where more people spoke English mm. um, because it is challenging in Italy. Mm. I wanted to be a little closer to my aging parents that were in Florida. Mm. And I wanted to move to a place where I had more friends and community. And Lisbon ticked all the boxes. And in November, I moved to Lisbon. Nice. So I moved to Lisbon. Yeah, it was really fabulous. Except I, like, I moved to Lisbon. I had a little traveling to do. Then my mom got sick and I went back to Florida and I was at her side, sadly, when she did pass. Mm -hmm. And um, I came back to Lisbon just in time for the lockdown. 
you know, so I'm, you know, I'm a little lonely. <laughs> I'm, you know, I've been able to get out and walk the dogs and yeah. I'm taking online Portuguese lessons, hardest language I've ever tried to learn. Yeah. But most people here do speak English and, you know, the city is starting to reopen, which is a really wonderful thing. Yeah. And I'm, I'm excited to get out and to discover and to be with friends uh -huh. and to go to restaurants. Me, meanwhile, I've become a really good cook. <laughs> Okay, all, all single men in Portugal. Take it like that. We got a we got a rock star. I'm cook telling you. Yeah, nice. I'm telling you, I'm I'm loving it. I'm really loving it. So it's an interesting time of reinvention and mm -hmm. recreation. When I meditate, which I've had tons of time to do during right. this virus, um, you know, I I know that I want to use my life to serve and contribute. I consider myself a philanthropist, not just giving money, but yeah. giving time, energy, and my love to things that I care about. Oh, and your, and your wisdom and experience is priceless, Marsh. I mean, that can be- Thank you. Oh, that, I mean, that can go to, to millions, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, it, I think life will allow me to use my expertise in different ways. Right. Um, so I'm excited about it. And Lisbon is a really alive city. There's yeah. a lot of, um, incubators and accelerators mm. and, and things like that going on here so there's like just a lot of creativity and mm. uh it's it's funny it's like a big village it's much much smaller than rome it's like a big village mm. but there's been this um influx of of uh, investors and capital and there's from my terrace i can see 40 different cranes in the sky okay and during the lockdown, the construction continued. So we're just waiting for the airport to reopen. Essential worker. You know, I would. It's. I um. I had a twenty-year background in uh, in real estate. Right. I was a developer and investor. Had a radio show on, on real estate in Chicago, and I got into publishing because you know my big dip. You know, it's like okay, real estate tanked and you know lost it all. Um, but I'm walking by this construction site just this morning, actually. I'm like, man, it'd be great to like just get in the mud and go build something. You know, I just think about, in terms of reinvention, I think like how, how dramatic should the next shift be for people? So I'm not gonna ask this question to you. Do you wanna stay in the same lane here of what you're doing? Or do you wanna do something like completely different? Well, I wanna take the life experience that I have yeah. and offer it without sounding totally woo woo in service to life. <laughs> and okay. you know, so I think a little bit about some of the female politicians that are coming into place mm -hmm. and how I might be able to help some of them. Right. Um, I love mentoring people, um, mm -hmm. the next generation, but not coaching. I'm not really, mm -hmm. even though I've been a coach, I was Jack Canfield's personal coach for many years and yeah. have trained and certified thousands of life coaches called dream coach. They mm -hmm. can, if people are interested in that, they can go to dreamuniversity.com. It's all online. But I feel like I'm in a new phase of life. Yeah. I mean, I didn't I didn't think I would write another book. And then I wrote Abundanza because it was raining a lot. So, you know, <laughs> who knows? Um, so I think, you know, I, I'm not, I don't really consider myself in the personal growth and development industry anymore. Um, that industry well, thank, has changed a thank lot Thank goodness for that. <laughs> The industry has really changed. I'm not a fan of the upselling people. Um, you know, I, it look, I, I did very, very well, but yeah. I did well because I took a wild risk. I started a modern day mystery school, meaning a place where you can study the mysteries of life, mm -hmm. the things that can't be seen or touched, like love and power and compassion. Mm -hmm. And it was called the Meaning Institute. Mm -hmm. And what I had found was through Dream University, the dream that people had more than any other dream was to know that their lives mattered. That's why the theme of my big event was bridging money and meaning. Right. Mm -hmm. Because being a wealthy visionary is, just, is not just about how much money you have yeah. in the bank. It's how you live your life and mm -hmm. your ability to be generous and to be in service, yeah. philanthropic. Yeah. Um, you, you know, so um, I, I was blessed that I did that for three years and I did incredibly well with it. And that's afforded me. Um, and I, I do say this with humility, but I do want to say it. It's afforded me the opportunity in this phase of life mm -hmm. to not think about money. Right. So I can go volunteer and I can contribute and I don't have to say, well, what's your budget? Um, right. You know, and, you know, I could have stayed in longer and I could have made millions more, but I had enough. That yeah. was kind of my feeling. It's like, you know, I have more than enough. 
I have enough to give and enough to be generous and enough to live my life. And by the way, moving to Portugal, I pay a fraction of everything. Hello. Here. Yeah. I lived in you Southeast know, I, Asia I, for a while. I love it. It's like America's like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> it's, I have a three bedroom, two bath, top level with a huge terrace and an amazing kitchen in the center of the city for $2,000 a month. Amazing. It's amazing. And my health insurance for a year, $500. A year. Not a per year. month. Not every two weeks. A no. year. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. And in the States, because I still have to keep my health insurance there for a few more years. Right. I pay almost fifteen hundred a month, nuts. Just in case, just in case. But we have the best healthcare system in the in the in the world, don't we? Oh my God, we can't go down that. Yes, we, we can. can. <laughs> yes, we can. Cocktails and conversations has no rules. You can swear. You can bring your dogs on camera. But yeah, I've I've traveled around the world and stuff too. I'm like, people, you got your your procedure done in Thailand? I'm like, yeah, because it costs like twenty cents and a dollar, and the doctors were trained in the U.S. and it's a I had like five nurses. I mean, there's, there's so many examples so many of things. people. But I would say I love being a global citizen. Yeah. I really do. I loved living in Italy. Yeah. I love living in Portugal. Um, I don't know where my next forever place is. I think um, if and when I fall in love, I'll relocate for love. Oh, I like that one. <laughs> That's it. Because I'm, I'm at home anywhere in the world. So That's, it's all good for me. It's funny you say that. Somebody asked me when I was traveling a lot, said, what's your favorite place? And I, with complete sincerity, I always said, right here, wherever I am, that's my favorite place. And the last place after going around the world with my son, the last place I stopped off at was Ohio <laughs> to spend nine if months. If you can say that about Ohio. To spend nine months with my, par <laughs> to spend nine months with my parents. Ah. Right? So that was like, okay, I'm going to do that for a while. And, you know, business tank because I was a like part-time caregiver. But that wasn't the currency that was important. The currency that was important was, you know, that currency with my parents. So, yeah, I, I love that world citizen thing because people, unfortunately, and even in all of our maps, think about all the maps we've seen. What's in the middle of the map? Us, U.S. What percent of the population, <laughs> of the world population is the U.S.? 5%. It's amazing. 5% of the world population is the U.S., but when you look at any map, oh, USA in the middle, you know, the big, the big powerhouse. And I love— Doug, how, how, how old is your son? Uh, he's uh, 20—oh, boy, he's going to catch me on this one. Um, he'll be 26 this year. Yeah. And how old was he when you took him around the world? Uh, he graduated. He, this is a good story. If you want a short one, he um, three weeks in graduation, he calls me up, Dad. You know, um, I got this degree in like sports marketing and management, but uh, you know, he gave me that, that entrepreneur book, and now I don't know what I want to do. I'm like, dude, don't do anything. <laughs> All my friends are interviewing, Dad. They're taking jobs. I'm like, don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. Do nothing. Well, I got to live. Is I want you to travel with me. What am I going to do? Uh -huh. You know, I can't afford them. Ah, oh, you can help me out. Put him to work like two hours a day on, on some project. So we went Thailand, India, Cairo, oh. Greece, France. Italy. I mean, we went around the world, you know, actually two times. But um, yeah, and then the best part was after a year we got back, he said, okay, dad, now what? I said, now you're on your own. Get a job. <laughs> so he's like... He's, you know, what he's a, slightly miserable, amazing, but like, well, you know, it's a good amazing lesson. Amazing opportunity for both of you. Oh yeah, it was great. Yeah, he, um, he said it was, it was, you know, it was a, you know, milestone in his life. I'm like, that's good. So now go out and do something with it, you know. So yeah, it was fun. But yeah, the the world is the world's a funny place. I am I'm so resonating with you on the world citizen thing because yeah, I love my country, I love my people, but it's not the only place I want to hang out. So. Yeah, it's, uh... it's a it's a good time to be in another country right now, you know, but I mean, why is that? we have what's why going is that? on the past past few years? I, I mean, is it... I don't want to get political, but I can why sum not? it up in a word. I mean, I'm, I, I, I think I well, I, I don't hide mine. I'm like, I don't care. I The extremes on both sides are extreme. Like, would you just. Yeah, Focus it's the, definitely gotten worse. Reasonable. I mean, even even this, you know, to wear mask, you know, you know, safety versus the economy, it just became the next thing for us to divide over. You yeah. didn't see it here in Portugal. Nobody was hoarding uh, paper, you know, toilet paper. Really? They, not, one, not one single person. There wasn't that kind of panic. Also, it wasn't long ago that Portugal was under a dictator. Right, that's so right. So when the government said, go home. Everybody went home. Yeah. And the numbers are very, I mean, throughout the entire country, there's still only about a thousand people, I think, that have actually died from the, from the virus. I mean, people yeah. took note. 
And there was, there's a kindness that people knock on your door and say, do you need anything? I mean, obviously that's well, true all over the world. They probably actually know their neighbors there as opposed to in this country where I don't even, you know, you don't know your neighbors anymore because nobody sits on the porch and says hello and brings off a gift basket when they move in and all those things. That... You know, I was, I was in my kitchen. I opened up the window and it was a woman hanging clothes yeah. on her line. And I'm like, hola, hola, fala English? She huh? said, yeah, I speak English. I'm like, who are you? She said, I'm Maria. And I said, I'm Marcia. She said, are you here alone? I said, yes, with my two dogs. Uh -huh. She said, my kids can go out and get you anything that you need. Mm. You can just bang on the bang on the floor. That's awesome. I love it. I know. I know. Yeah. I really feel very, very blessed to be how long, here. How long did you live in California? Oh, I lived in California for a long time. So I was in California from 1993 uh -huh. until five years ago. So almost 20 years. I love living in California, you know, but it really is a bubble from the rest of the world. You think? <laughs> yeah, I used to travel around the country right, and I would right. give lectures and mm -hmm. then invite people to come to different events. And then I realized the events that I'm hosting are in California, so why don't I just focus on doing stuff in California? It's, it's, and yeah. it, it was much easier. It was much, much easier. Of... I mean, my... Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, my business model was I would speak, I would give seven to ten keynotes on mm -hmm. other people's stages mm -hmm. like harbecker and yeah. peak potentials and all those guys um and from that i would sell a package in the back of the room mm -hmm. with my three home study courses yeah. wealthy visionary dream coach certification and how to be an inspiring speaker mm -hmm. and then include in that package two tickets to my event right. and so seven to ten keynotes would put 700 people in a room with me nice. and in a weekend that generated $3 million. I mean, it's it was a really yeah. smart model. And that's why my friends thought I was really stupid <laughs> when I said I was going to stop doing it. They said, you have this dialed in. It's so easy. And I'm like, but if I keep doing this, there won't be space for something new. And I had really, I mentioned it earlier. I want to revisit. I had really... Um, been practicing discernment. Mm. The ability of saying no more and no thank you allowed me to say now what to what I really wanted. Mm -hmm. And I spent several years saying no to things that didn't completely light me up. I was invited to do a lot more speaking, a lot more travel, right. high level mentorship. And I could say, well, you know, thank you, but no, it doesn't feel right right now. Thank you, no. And I kept clearing, clearing, clearing away. And from that space of being so clear and empty and yeah. available, that's where I got the idea or the guidance to start the Mystery School, the Meaning Institute. Okay. And that really changed my life. And, you know, and then nobody was more surprised than me then, you know, it was like I was guided to do it for three years. After yeah. three years, I pulled the plug, moved to Italy, it wasn't planned. It wasn't like, oh, when I get to this age, I'm going to retire. It didn't actually feel like retirement. It, uh, you know, people were like, well, what are you doing? I'm like, well, I think I'm on a sabbatical. <laughs> yeah, I and think they, I'm on a sabbatical. Know, I'll let you know I tomorrow. <laughs> and they would say, how long? And I'm like, well, I'll let you know when I'm done. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, you know, and I was like, well, semi-retirement. And then I, you know, people said, you know, what do you do after a while? I would say I'm a writer because it was easier to engage in conversation than saying I don't do anything. Is that, is it's that's never, a question about that. Is that, is that just Westerners questioning? Because I know that. No, no. A lot of the people in Rome wanted to know what it, what did I do? Okay. Because I think it's a, it's a, it's a funny question. I was doing a book for a neuroscientist about status, right? Now we generally ask that question to establish hierarchy and status instantly, right? Right. It's, it's a weird it's a weird thing. But like, right. I, so sometimes when people ask me that, you know, what do you do? I said, well, I'm standing up right now or there's some smart aleck answer of like, you know, I'm I'm a, I'm a father or I'm, a, I'm whatever it is. But I I try to sometimes just for just for gut, just for fun, not say about my profession, because, you know, why do you why do you care? You want you well, I acknowledge, I acknowledge your courage in doing that because especially for, for a man, yeah, I believe, yeah. who's so identified with his mission and what he's right. accomplishing, right. to be able to say that, I think it's such a, a heart-opening, invitational space to say, well, I, you know, not, not much. What do you do? <laughs> Um, so I do think that probably because tourism has been so prevalent in Rome, they probably yeah. learned it from us. But yeah. then it really became, I, I think for a lot of people, it's a point of engagement. They're genuinely curious. Yeah. You know, what do you do? I think it's less about status in Europe and more about uh, what, what should we talk about? Oh, okay. You know? Yeah. 
And one of my books did get translated into Italian. Oh. It was kind of funny. When I went to Rome, I thought, well, I, if I'm really going to surrender my identity and I want to be abroad dating abroad, dating online, <laughs> I don't want people to go Google oh, me. Oh, right. Did you change your name? So I, I did. What, did, what was your you Italian know, I, name? Maya. Maya. Is Maya. Same last name or just Maya? And I never gave anybody my Oh, you're last like Madonna, name. just one name. Hey, it's Maya. One name. And you know, by the way, she lives in Portugal. Madonna moved to Portugal because her son wanted to play oh, soccer. You guys, you guys should go hang out. Uh, yeah. Hey, what's she doing you now? Know, we probably should. Yeah. So, so Maya, so it was kind of like I didn't have you know, any identity. There was no way that people could discover my, my background. And it mm -hmm. was a really wonderful, you know what, Doug? It was a healing for me. Good, yeah. Because a lot of people, this sounds so weird. So I, the unedited version, my sense is um, some people like me for what I could do for them. Yeah. Oh my God, I can right. feel my cheeks blushing. I want to throw it's... up my mouth a little bit. Like, okay, yeah, fine. <laughs> what do you want to exchange? Yeah, I'm your whore now. Fine. What do you want? <laughs> I never said that, but I'm happy. Well, to I'm be... I'm more visceral <laughs> with that kind of stuff. As I as I get older, my filters tend to go away. I'm like, what's a filter? I don't know. So, yeah. But you know, you're funny. Oh my gosh, yeah. I love that you made me laugh. <laughs> you know, it's just like what you see is what you get. Yep. And it was a healing for me because people could genuinely decide whether they wanted to hang out with me mm -hmm. just for who I was. I love that. You know, not yeah. for any major big credential that I had. That's why I um, ask about the self-development industry, especially as it pertains to California, because I was there for like a year or two. And when I was there, I had where, a great time. Where were you? Uh, Huntington Beach and Westlake Village. So I was, I had two, two locations where I lived out in Orange County and you know, the beach town and then up in Westlake Village, you know, horse country. Um, and yeah, I, I met some great people there. It's probably some same people we know, whatnot. It was, it was, I felt, um, connected and the weather was great and there's a lot of business to do. And as soon as I left, I felt like I needed a shower Oh, because I'm like, Oh, I forgot what real people actually, you know, say hello to uh, each other on the trail when they go hiking. In. You know, I'm, I'm a member of the transformational leadership council. Most uh -huh. of the people that are in the secret. Yeah. Our members. Right. They actually filmed that there. Mm -hmm. I wasn't at that meeting and it's all fine. Yeah. So I have some wonderful dear friends that right. are world class experts in that field. Mm -hmm. But for me, I feel like I have done that and I, I've helped hundreds of thousands of millions of mm -hmm. people if you count multiple oprah appearances i've yeah. helped a lot of people and i feel really good i'm not going to be one of those people who in the you know second half of life you know is like oh i have to do something meaningful with my life i've done i've done that do something you know? for marcia now it's marcia's turn <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I think you should be going out with some matador from Italy. Quite frankly, that's what I that's what I see here. A matador. You know what? My Italian girlfriends would not let me date the Italian men. I'll tell you why. It's funny. I could guess. It's, kind of, it's it's funny, sad. They said there's two reasons why they wouldn't date them. One is, and this is such a gross generalization. Forgive me, all my Italian friends. I love it. It's all right. Or lovers of Italian men. You know. Now, number one was um, they often lie about being married and i did encounter that of course i one guy said to me oh i want to meet you and i'm like well how about this weekend no no weekends are not good my <laughs> friends said that's a that's a neon sign I'm with my kids. and um i said she said just ask him directly i said are you married and he mm -hmm. said not in rome well yeah not in rome i'm married that, in, in down in the uh, married in where i live <laughs> right and the second thing is you have a lot of mama's boys maninas oh maninas yeah, you right? know they live at home until they're in their 40s so what's happening in italy is there's a population shrinkage yeah. because the women are, you know, are smart and they're marrying other people and right. some, a lot of them moving away. Um, and the men are staying home until late in life. So nobody's really having babies. Plus it's expensive and the economy yeah. is in the right. tank. Um, so they're really experiencing quite a, a big change, hmm. big, big change. So Italy, you know, to the tourists, it's still fabulous. The right. Colosseum, the Vatican, and all yeah. that jazz. I would go meditate many days in the mm -hmm. Pantheon. It was right down the street yep. from where I yep. lived. So much beauty and history. But without tourism, Rome is dead. Um, right. And, I, you know, I don't know how they're going to come back as 
the rest of the world from this craziness that uh, they've we're been around longer than most of our world so I'm they've sure been around back, a so, lot yeah. longer you know t- they're happy with their family and their friends and mm. their food and their wine but underneath people are not very happy they're stuck yeah. most of them don't speak any other language yeah. uh, it's cost of living is very expensive um, we saw what's happening there was starting to happen in Lisbon but they stopped it and that was the you know, the expats were moving in, so the cost of rent and everything else was increasing, so the locals couldn't afford to uh, live there anymore. Yeah. And Lisbon said, we don't want that to happen here, so they put some controls in place. But you got under, hopefully... under, the, under the gauntlet, did you? Yeah, I think I think I may have because the uh, the residential rules changed uh, the end of the month when I applied for my residency. Ooh, okay. So I think I got in just under the wire. Wow. So I'm happy to be here. They're happy to have people come in, but they're they're starting to minimize the whole Airbnb scene. Mm. Uh, there used to be a thing called the Golden Visa, which they still have mm. in Portugal, but they don't offer it in Lisbon and Porto anymore. It used to be if you invested a half million dollars or more, yeah. you would get this golden passport that would allow you to move easily through Europe and for as long as you wanted to. Mm-hmm. And they just said, there's too much development going on in the big cities. We need to get more people to go out to the countryside. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. All right, so I'm I'm so curious about what you're going to do because I I think I, it seems a little um unclear. nebulous. Yeah, it's okay. dreamy. It's dreamy. It's dreamy. Well, <laughs> it's, it, what's the what's the verb version of that? So you like men, right. you like mentorship, but the self development thing and eh, not so much. You're you're Philanthropy. 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 I have. I love giving and contributing. I went to visit my girls and my schools in Kenya. I was there at the first college graduation, and my heart just burst open. You know, we're we're right now we're 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 helping twenty young men and women become doctors with a signed agreement that they will stay in the Mara. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, there was no education before girls were getting married off at 14 and now they're becoming high school and college graduates and, and paving the way for future generations. And people often say to me, well, why do you contribute to Africa? You know, America's enough of a mess. Um, the, le- the level of gratitude and appreciation and how far your investment goes in a third world country is really inspiring. Mm-hmm. And I'm not adverse to contributing here. I've recently been thinking, you know, okay, maybe there's some part of me that needs to go back to Washington, D.C. and contribute in some way. I know. I know. But no. contribute in some, in some way to the next generation Do the math. Of Do the math. Every dollar, every dollar spent, the, the people who need it get a nickel. No. It's I a know. Bad idea. But, I, but as a mentor, if I can mentor the right young women, I don't know. You know, I mean, I recently got a, C, a call from a CEO that I had worked with 10 years ago, and he said, after working with you, we went from being a $1 billion company to being an $11 billion company. Oh, you didn't, you didn't get 10% of that? One, <laughs> I only worked with this team for one day. One day. Whoa. I helped them create a culture of trust. Yeah. I, teach, I taught each of them to be visionaries. I taught them to go out of the box. And the CEO decided that instead of becoming a billionaire – he was going to make his top leaders and managers, these seven other people, mil- millionaires. And so here it is 10 years later, mm. and the company is massively growing. He's got more free time to play and enjoy. Each of the individuals knows what their purpose is and how to bring it to the company and the organization. And I thought, well, if I can make that kind of difference in one day, where that's what I'm looking for. Where in the world can I make a difference? Not just a financial, but an yeah. energetic, an emotional, a spiritual, a physical. Where can I use my God-given gifts and talents to really contribute and make a difference? So many, cho- so many choices, so little time, man. What do you, th- what do you think? My, my the, first what, gut what your, instinct tells yeah. me two things. Number one, my coach was telling me about leading versus lagging indicators the other day. I'm like, oh my god, you're right. Everybody focuses on their uh, lagging indicators, how many sales you made, all that. Like, who cares if you focus on the the, the leading indicators of how many lives you touched, how many people you helped out? It takes care of the money, right? We've heard that before. In your case, you've got such wisdom and experience. I'm going to challenge you to think bigger. I think I'm, I'm open. I I'm think, o- I'm co- I think you have the wherewithal <laughs> and the gravitas to do a, um, a United Way version without the $3 million CEO salary, a United Way version of 
empowering young people. And that's kind of selfish because that's kind of what I do in my spare time. But I think that here's an example. I was a big brother in Orange County for a year. And the CEO of Big Brothers Big Sisters in Orange County worked in the prison system for 30 years. And it took him 30 years to figure out there's no such thing as rehabilitation. I got to get him early. So he started, he became the CEO of Big Brothers there. So when I think about how screwed up young kids are, because I volunteer for Rotary's youth leadership every year for the past six, seven years. And these kids are brainwashed by their schools, their parents, their teachers, their friends on the most ridiculous things. And I, oh. it, it's, I, I'll tell you, I'll tell you the story another time, I think, because it's, 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 uh, it's horrifying. Oh. Um, you want to hear it? <laughs> you got a minute? Yeah, All of right. course. It's important because it relates to what I think you're, you're, what you can do. These, uh, I work with a hundred kids every fall in, in Rotary. And, uh, you know, we do like the whole, you know, communication empowerment thing, blah, blah, blah. They, they do, you know, team building skills outdoors. But I spent a couple of evenings with them just chatting. And I said, I want you guys to think about things that have been said to you. And you have two note cards. Write down one thing somebody said to you which disempowers you and one thing that empowers you. And fold them up. And keep the empowering one in your pocket and take the disempowering one and pass it forward. Do not put your name on it. I get 100 of these note cards every year. And I go through them and I read them aloud to everybody. I'm too fat. I'm too stupid. I'm not good enough. My mother's boyfriend w- wishes she would have had an abortion. These are the words that are being spoken to these kids at an early age. And damn it, they are in their brains, in their hearts forever. You can't take back these things, right? Words have a lot of power. So I get the kids, okay, who wants to share this, right? And occasionally I get one courageous one. Then they all come up and start crying hysterically about their lives and whatnot. I say, okay, now what are you going to do with this stuff, guys? So we take all the cards, we go to a bonfire, and we burn them. And start shouting and doing you know things and so now that we read the positive cards and said so take that one with you and keep it forever oh. <laughs> my point is yeah working in you know whether it's politics or you know covid mask or anything it's like it's too late <laughs> focus on the focus on these kids because they're still moldable till we can give them a little shift but your ability you've already impacted millions of people I think there's about, what, maybe a thousand organizations that might focus on this space and helping young people out. But everybody, every time I talk to people, oh, I want to start a nonprofit. You and uh, another. 10, 000, another one, right? <laughs> you know what? I, I taught for 10 years at Girl Scout camp. Oh, okay. I, I slept in a lot of tents. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it was, it is extraordinary. I found the young, let's see, we were working with girls that were mostly, I want to say 14 to 16 year olds. Yeah, yeah. And even that was a little late, as you yeah, were saying, right, you know, but usually if they're a scout, they're, they've already chosen to be on a do good path. Right. Yeah. You know, so yeah. that's kind of an interesting thing too. And then in, in Kenya, I mean, we started building schools from kindergarten. Oh, that's great. Yeah. But and so, teaching, you know, all the way up and eventually teaching the leadership okay, skills. Okay, but, but philanthropy, so I, philanthropy with money, that's, 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 that's tough but important to do. But if you could do a coalition of, um, of uh, you know, giving kids a, a, a different perspective and, and give to all the organizations, like there's, you know, thousands of them out there, and make like an umbrella one for all of them. That can make it. That's that changes the world. You know, it's okay to change the world yeah. one one well at a time, one school at a time. Nothing. That's a beautiful thing to do. But yeah, the idea of, of bringing together a group to have a larger impact. Yeah. And creating kind of the ribbon around it yeah. so that there's you know? a share, a unified purpose. I I can't is, think of a good example that's not of you know the UN of, of of youth leadership or something like that. But maybe not UN. But you know what I'm saying. It's a a unified a unified umbrella organization that um gives them a united front to make the world a better place. So, yeah. Well, it also always bothered me that kids are not taught in school how to dream. They're not taught how to do critical thinking or, or right. shop classes are no longer. I mean, there's a lot of things that are re- just like, ugh, really know. important. You know, I mean, and, and we're still, they're still being taught so much useless stuff, you know, calculus. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, my, both my daughters are teachers, so they might disagree with some of that, but I, I res- uh, it's, there's still a lot, well, a lot missing. I mean, I think it just makes a huge difference with who the teacher is. It's not, you know, it's well, not even it, so much it, the it is, but sometimes the curriculums are so whack that it's like, what? I can't talk about this? Oh, right. 
the limitations. Mm. Yeah. Mm. But this is it. This is the opposite of dreaming, right? So we become more and more, you can't and you shouldn't and more and more, oh, uh, you know, divisive and it, it just narrow as opposed to let's open up to, huh, if time and money weren't issues, if you had the support of the people around you, mm -hmm. if you knew you couldn't fail, right. what would you do? Where would you go? What would you create? The idea behind dreaming is to get people to swing outside of just being right. realistic to open up to possibilities, to dream the mm -hmm. unimaginable, yeah. like Peter Diamandis did, you know, mm -hmm. and, you know, and breaking new ground. And I mean, on one hand, I think we live at the most exciting time ever. And on another, you know, one of the hardest times ever. I but know. I will say, I will say, I, regardless of what's going on in the economy or even in the world or especially in your own checking account, yeah. it's never been a better or more important time to open up to your dreams, to ask mm. yourself the question, how do I want my life to be? And then be in integrity. What am I willing to do about it? And by the way, on the what am I willing to do about it? Don't forget to sign up for my free gift. And where is that <laughs> URL again? Go ahead and tell me what that is. <laughs> Dreamuniversity.com slash gift, G-I-F-T, dreamuniversity.com slash gift will give you three <clears throat> incredibly powerful tools to help you clarify the dreams that you have or maybe it's time for a new one. I'm certainly in that boat again. So, you know, it's never too late. <clears throat> mm -hmm. It's never, ever too late, right. never too old, never too young, never too big, never too small. The question is what really matters to you and what are you going to do about it to show that it's not just a fantasy or a crazy idea, right. but something that matters to you. Yeah. And by the way, when you develop the ability to talk to anyone anytime, any place about your dream or idea, the obstacle called I don't have enough money can disappear. When people are inspired by what you're doing, they'll often, they might invest in you. They might, you know, at the very <laughs> least hire you or buy mm -hmm. what you have. So don't kill off the dream before you explore the possibilities. What's that one saying? If you want, if you want advice, ask for money. And if you want money, ask for advice. Oh, that's good. You like that that's one? That's a really good one. I do like that yeah. one. I'm sure that you have a brain full of... I only have of, three or four of my own quotes. The rest of them are, are re-quoted, right? I, I know the ones that I came up with. I'm like, oh, that's not one of them. I got that from somebody well, else. Well, I know that for a lot of people, their their dream is to is to write and publish a book. Yeah. And I, that's a dream that you can help people directly. I can, but as my, as my, as my coach and I have figured out this year, I'm, I'm starting to be able to turn business away too because I get a lot of people that... Uh, um, uh, there's no way to, there's no nice way to put this. Um, <laughs> you've got to know who you want to work with as much as you know who you don't want to work with. Right. Dis discernment. Discernment. Right. So the people who have, who, like I get really jazzed by working on a person's book who actually has something interesting to say and can make a small dent in the universe. Right. If it's just a, like I have a couple books, I mean, names should be withheld, but uh, my book is about, this is not a real book, uh, financial planning. I'm like, okay, well, maybe you can, um, you know, help a family out and help them become financially independent and whatnot. You know, that's might be. Another guy might have talk about, um, well, this is, you know, something with the wells in Kenya or something. Like, yeah, I like that better. But somebody can actually say, like, no, this is, if this gets shared even a little bit, like I'm working on one book for a guy who's um, a very successful guy in California. And his book is not about his business. It's about, um, it's for millennials. And it's called Getting Your Shit Together. And uh, it's, it's. <laughs> He's a great writer. I'm, I'm helping him navigate. But I'm like, you don't need my ghostwriting team or even my editing team. We're going to use other resources to get it done out there. But it's every every millennial who's read it's like, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's great. It like they need really help. Really piques their interest, and because they're getting a bad rap, they've got they've got real thoughts and ideas and whatnot. They're just being they're trapped in this new world where they've, you know, they grew up with the internet. That's all they know. We we know we know both sides of the world, and there's a lot of different things there. Um, but yeah, and another one that I'm working on, I really enjoy is um, it's called the sixty-eight trillion dollar tsunami, the largest wealth transfer in history. This is going to be a fun one. Wow. Every single baby boomer who's going to retire or die in the next 10, 20 years is going to leave their assets of money to people, their kids, who don't know what a money manager is, don't want to talk to somebody at Fidelity, don't really care about having a house, and probably don't have a car. So what are they going to do with their money? They're going to put it in their little stash app or something like here's dad's quarter million bucks. I don't know what to do with it. You know, it's, it's a really big opportunity for financial institutions and people to say, well, millennials 
think, act, and are completely, they're wired completely different than, than you and I are. So it's, 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 it's been really fun to go through his interviews on it, at least. But. Well, I hope they also learn to dream, you know, because there's, yes. it's, at one level, as the world is changing so fast, we yeah. can't even possibly keep up with it. Yeah. And who would want to, right? But the ability, kind of day by day, moment by moment, to actually check in who am I? What do I need? Mm -hmm. How, you know, what makes me happy? How do I want to contribute? How do I want to live my life? The ability to ask good questions, mm -hmm. I, you know, that hasn't changed. Our ability right. to listen, you know, our ability to listen to our deep inner knowing, our wisdom, you know, and then to have the guts, the courage to act on what's true for us, mm. more important, more important than ever. So last question on the dream thing, and we'll, then we'll wrap it up. But I'm really curious about how are you able to help people navigate around, through or over the obstacle of fear, fear of fear of success, fear of failure, fear of embarrassment or all these silly things. We all have it. Yeah. How do you navigate yeah. around that? I think every part of us serves a function, even fear. It's true. Yeah. You know, you know, and fear is a kind of a cousin to doubt. Mm -hmm. If you're, you know, if you're immobilized, if you're stuck, if you're procrastinating, if you feel like, oh, I'm not sure this can work, doubt. Yeah. There's usually some level of fear there. And what I teach is turn toward the thing that you want to turn away from. So to turn toward the fear, maybe even have a dialogue with it, mm. journal with it, you know, F for fear, M for Marsha, you know, I, I am Marsha. I'm asking the questions. I'm writing out in play form. I'm asking it questions like I'm an investigative reporter. And instead of trying to get rid of it, which is just going to have it fight back and get harder and stronger, I'm going to get curious. I'm not going to let it, um, you know, uh, snatch my dream and kidnap me off into, into, you know, reality land, right. but I'm going to hear from fear and I'm, I'm going to trust that at one level, it's an ally. It's giving mm -hmm. me information. It might even give me my list of obstacles, right? Mm -hmm. And every obstacle is either a belief or something that requires a strategy. So in the number one way that we sabotage our dreams is we project our fear into our dreams. And everybody I've ever met does this. And we do it with three simple words. But what if? But what if I go for my dream and I fail? But what if I move to a foreign country and I'm really lonely? But what if I write a book and nobody publishes? But what if, but what if, but what if? Instead, let's just take a piece of paper, split it in half on the top, write out your dream in as much detail. Mm -hmm. In the bottom, write out your reality, including any fear or doubt that you have. Mm -hmm. And then the $64,000 question is, which one are you more committed to? your dream or your fear. If you put your worst fears and nightmares into your dream, you're going to be more committed to your reality. But fear is not, you know, it's not part of the dream. It's part of the reality. So mm -hmm. it's not that we don't have it. It's not that it's the enemy. It's that we don't engage with it to see what it's really about, or we let it hijack us. That's the word I was looking mm -hmm. for earlier. We let it hijack us away from our dream. So I would say, you know, by hearing from it, it's kind of like a little homeopathic dose. You can turn that voice down. It's like, yeah, you know, Marcia Sinatar wrote that book forever ago, decades ago. Feel the fear. I think that was her that year. Feel the fear and do, do it, it anyway. anyway. Uh -huh, yeah. All right. You know, and it's kind of like, oh, which one am I more committed to? Well, if I'm more committed to my dream, I'm going to act on it. If I'm more committed to my fear, I'm not. It's as simple as that. So I believe that we can develop much more muscle and capacity mm -hmm. for dealing with fear. But the secret is to do what's counterintuitive, and that's to turn toward the thing that you want to run away from. Engage with it from a heart center, you know, using your mind, using your tools and your skills, but ultimately make the decision to show yourself and the world which one you're more committed to. Dramatic pause. Because <laughs> I could go on and on. No, and no, on. no. I want to. I, I want to. Like that's going to be like a snippet. Of, we'll do a transcript and put the thing. That's brilliant, Marsha. I really on, like on the uh, dreamuniversity.com/slash/gift. Yes. On the ten short videos that I pulled from the Dream Coach process. Step number. Let's see. Intention, integrity, purpose, dreams. Step number five is all about dealing with your doubts and fears, and step number six is about limiting beliefs. Outstanding. So. People can skip ahead to those pieces if no, they want. The videos are real. Go through it. They're Be short. thorough. They're, 
you, it, you it's left a Brainerd. really good process. I mean, yeah. it really is. It's helped hundreds of thousands of people mm -hmm. in countries all over the world, because on one hand, it's CBA. Get clear about what you want, believe in mm -hmm. yourself and take action. But if you don't know what your purpose is, it's hard to know what your dreams are. Right. And I said it earlier, but I think it bodes repeating, standing in your purpose, the quality of your dreams and therefore the quality of your life will actually change. Mm. So doing the work to know who you are and purpose, I believe, is something it's inherent. It's not like finding a needle in the haystack. It's something that's inside of each and every one of us. And session number three in the Dream Coach methodology talks to you specifically about how to find your life's purpose. Outstanding. And that URL, one last time. Dreamuniversity.com slash gift. We appreciate your gift so much, Marsha. I want to have another conversation because I've got about four or five new things I want to talk about. So, you know, we have time, I would but not I today. I would love it. Another time. We'll schedule another time. And uh, I want more. I want more, more, more politics, religion, and sex. We'll talk about those three things uh, that nobody has talked about. I'm happy to talk about all three of all them. All right. <laughs> I want to hear about that new book. Thanks again, Marsha Weeder. Um, uh, just so grateful for you. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you so much. Thanks, Doug. You bet.